Chapter 21 I woke up. I was on my side, lying in the dirt. I looked up at a night sky. Stars, galaxies, three tiny moons. Where was I? I stood up. Every muscle in my body ached. Muscles I didn't even know I had ached. My hooves tasted nothing but bare dirt. My stalk eyes swiveled quickly to look around, but I realized one eye was blinded. Then I saw the ship, the Skritnaw transport. It was still more or less in one piece. I must have been able to land it. Somehow. I couldn't remember much of those last few minutes. It was all chaos in my brain. I forced myself to go over the facts. I was on the Taxon homeworld. I was approximately 400 miles from the spaceport. Lauren and Chapman were in the hands of the Yerks. Aloran. No one knew. Arbron had tried to trick me into killing him. That's what I remembered best. Arbron! I called. Arbron! No answer. I trudged wearily over to the Skritnaw ship. I saw the two-foot hole made by the Dracon beam. And then I saw the way the engines had been ripped half off. The ship would never fly again. I climbed into the wreckage. My second stalk eye was starting to clear a little. I felt it and realized it had just been covered with mud. Inside the ship, I called again. Arbron! I looked around. Nothing was working except a tiny glimmer of emergency lighting. For some reason, the Skritnaw liked their emergency lighting to be green. Who knows why? Something was missing. Of course, the two Skrit cocoons. They must have been knocked loose. The door to the freight hold was blown open. I went in. The same green emergency lighting illuminated a bizarre scene. In the hold were boxes and crates piled in wild disarray. Many had broken open on impact. They spilled an amazing mass of alien-looking objects. Frozen, preserved animals. Bundles of the artificial skin that Lauren and Chapman wore. Glass objects that seemed to contain liquids odd, antiquated electronic equipment, small objects that looked like hundreds of rectangular sheets of paper glued together on one side, and a long crate of what I could almost swear were primitive weapons. All things that the Skritna had looted from Earth. Lauren would know what they were, no doubt. But in addition to all the small things, there were two much larger things. One was a shiny, yellow-painted creation with four black wheels. The other object was the most powerful thing in the history of the galaxy. It looked like nothing more than a smooth, off-white sphere. It was perhaps ten feet in diameter, perfectly smooth, unmarked. You would never know what it was if you hadn't seen the power readings. Invisible to the eye, it spread its grid down through the very fabric of space-time. The Time Matrix. I found I had stopped breathing. I could barely imagine the power I was staring at. To move a ship into zero space took more power than a medium-sized star. To move anything through time took ten times that power. The power of ten suns. All somehow contained in that off-white sphere. Arbron! I yelled. But I knew he wasn't there.
He must have been thrown clear of the ship, just as I had been. Only, I hadn't seen him outside. And now it occurred to me that something else was missing, too. The act of Skrit. Both Skrit cocoons and the act of Skrit were gone, along with Arbron. I turned slowly away from the time matrix. It had a hold over me. It drew my stock eyes back to it, even as I walked away. I went back outside. Arbron! The light of the moons and stars was too dim to see clearly, but I had the impression I was in a narrow valley between tall, almost cliff-like mountains. Where could Arbron have gotten to? Had he fallen from the doomed Skritna ship earlier? He could have ended up slamming into one of the mountainsides. I hated to even imagine that. I went back inside the cargo hold and picked up a handful of paper sheaves. Some were larger and had pictures. By the dim green light, I instantly recognized that the pictures were of humans. I flipped through pictures of humans doing things I could not understand. But then there was one picture I understood immediately. It showed a marvelously tall waterfall. The waterfall crashed into a pool surrounded by trees, all of them green. Overhead was a blue sky. Two humans were smiling and sticking tiny white cylinders into their mouths. There was human writing beneath the picture. I don't read human very well, but I was sure it was a poem to the beauty revealed in the picture. The grass there looked sweet. It would be a fine thing to run there. To run with Lauren and forget everything that had happened. Forget that I was alone on a planet of evil. My only companion, probably dead. My prince, lost. I turned to other pictures. I saw small, strange pictures of humans doing nothing but smiling. And there were pictures of human technology. A flying machine of some sort. Humans holding long rods that spit fire what seemed to be hideous cities. And then, to my delight, a picture of an actual human spacecraft. It took me a few seconds to understand what it was. It seemed to be a chemical rocket. An actual chemical rocket. But the pictures that drew my gaze were the ones of beautiful beaches beside blue seas, and mountains topped with white, and rushing white water streams surrounded by tall green trees. The trees were all very similar, not as beautiful as the trees I knew. Still, the picture spoke of a lovely world filled with delicious green grass and cool water. That alien landscape of Earth took me away from the drab horror of the taxon world. I wondered if Chapman might be from the jagged human cities. Was that why he was so much harsher than Lauren? Was Lauren from the beautiful green country where smiling humans stuck white cylinders into their mouths? I guess I fell asleep looking at that picture. I awoke with lingering traces of awful dreams chasing through my brain. There was light. Natural light from the taxon sun. I ran outside. As I had guessed, I was in an incredibly steep valley. And now I could see tracks in the orange dirt. The marks of dozens of needle-sharp legs... Taxon tracks. The tracks came right up to the ship. Had they come while I was asleep? No, I could see my own tracks from the night before. My tracks were over the taxon tracks. Arbron, they were his tracks. Had to be. And yet, no, there had been more than one taxon. Three, 
four others, five sets altogether. And then I saw two additional signs, a set of wandering insect-like tracks and the evidence of something large being dragged away. The skrit, I said. Okay, so taxons came. They took Arbron away. And the skrit. And maybe the two cocooned skrit. I glanced at the spot where I'd been lying unconscious. They had to have seen me, smelled me. And yet I was still alive. They have Arbron, I realized. I reeled back and fell down. The taxons had taken Arbron. I knew what taxons did with prisoners. No! What had I done? I'd let them take Arbron alive. And yet, why hadn't they taken me? And the Time Matrix? Surely taxon controllers would not have done that. I recalled Subvisor 7's reference to mountain taxons. Taxons who refused to submit to Yurt control. And I felt just the faintest glimmer of hope. If these had been Yurk-controlled taxons, they'd have taken the Time Matrix. And me. What am I supposed to do now? I asked the empty, dusty sky. Should I try to follow the tracks to Arbron? No, I had to be logical. Whatever type of taxon he'd fallen in with, their hunger would almost certainly seal his doom. And the doom of the poor Skritna, too. Alaran might still be alive. He was my prince. My duty was to get back to him. Tell him about the Time Matrix and Arbron. Somehow. But the Taxon spaceport was hundreds of miles away, across burning sands. Then, one of the human pictures I'd seen came back to me. It had shown two smiling humans sitting in something very much like the bright yellow machine in the cargo hold. I went back to the ship. Yes, this bright yellow machine had four wheels, and you could easily see how humans might sit in it. It had a name in chrome letters. Mustang. Naturally, I had no idea what that meant. I set to work enlarging the hole in the side of the cargo hold. Then I removed the chairs in the machine. I discovered that I could fit inside the machine if I removed the flimsy cloth top. I stared long and hard at the control panel. The computer was tiny and had knobs you could twist. But at first, all it did was make static noises. Then I discovered an actual tape drive. Astoundingly primitive. I pushed the buttons on the small keypad and twisted the knobs again. And to my utter amazement, the computer began to play music. It screamed. I quickly turned it down. What kind of race would use a computer to play screaming sounds? It took twenty minutes more for me to realize that a notched brass insert could be twisted. And when I twisted it... The noise was amazing. It was an actual chemical engine. Something from a thousand years ago. Ridiculously primitive. And yet I found, when I pressed my forehoof on a pedal in the floor... The engine roared. Vroom! 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 It was primitive, all right, but it vibrated in a most satisfying way. And I liked it. <laughs>